Welcome to Travel Worth Living, a travel podcast helping to share adventure stories from around the world. My name is Seth, and I'll be your host today as I talk with my best friend and nursing buddy from America. He brings a unique perspective to travel from someone who grew up in the infamous part of the U.S. known as the South. You'll enjoy hearing our stories of adventure in Haiti as well as some of his favorite memories from touring Europe. Jonathan, welcome to the Travel Worth Living podcast. Go ahead and start by telling us who you are and where you were born and raised. As, as you already said, but my name is Jonathan. Um, I've grown up in the U.S. and the southeastern uh, portion of the U.S. was born in North Carolina, one of the states, but I've uh, grown up mainly in Alabama, but now I'm living in Tennessee working as a nurse. Yeah, so when did you move to Alabama? How old were you? I think I was around, I don't know, eight or nine, something like that. So pretty young. Yeah. So you spent most of your time growing up there. What mm-hmm. are what are some interesting, uh, unique facts about Alabama that some people might not know? Uh, well, Alabama is uh, known as a place. Well, the South in general, but I think Alabama has uh, a, like a very strong reputation for have for having what they call rednecks i I don't even know how to necessarily describe a person that's a redneck i don't know they like to drive big trucks around with big tires you know go mudding as they call they like to you know go hunting and fishing which i enjoy the fishing part of it um and just i don't know talking in a very different um accent in comparison to most people in the u.s yeah. Uh, most people in the U.S. make fun of it, and me included. I mean, I'm from there, so. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, very unique culture, I guess you would say, um, and not not your just your average. And and people, I've I've seen this before. People um, have difficulty understanding what they're trying to say. People in the South, rednecks, and Southern people in general, because they're so used to a different type of English. Uh, that they they yeah struggle with even understanding. I mean, I guess for instance, my uh, mother-in-law when she uh, married my father-in-law, she's from England, and so her first job they with with my father-in-law they moved to Montgomery, Alabama, and um, she had a terrible time trying to understand people that were just talking to her normally for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's it's quite quite hilarious, but it's a, a definite. <laughs> fact. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I first moved to the South uh, after growing up all over, um, I had trouble sometimes because the Southern accent has different stages. You have like the really thick Southern drawl and then just kind of like the light Southern twang in there. And you get some of those thick mm-hmm. accents and it's hard to understand. <clears throat> that it is. Yeah, you, you certainly. And you, there's variations, you know, you get down to which you know, Louisiana has more of its a Cajun accent, which is something completely different even from, from what I would say, like just a Southern accent. But yeah, it's, it's interesting how different people can sound in such a small area of the United States. Yeah. And uh, you also you also call, what is it, crawfish crawdads? Friends of mine growing up, they would, uh, they would go out and catch these crawfish or crawdads, as we called them, and they would take them, and because they're very territorial, you put two of them in a bucket, and then they would be they would basically fight each other, and uh, so that was like a, a very fun activity for friends of mine uh, growing up. So it's it, almost like um, you know chicken fighting, but in a much less way, I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're smaller bugs, so it's not quite as violent, right? 
<laughs> right, right. And don't, um, man, I'm trying to think just while we were talking, don't they do, it's not catfishing. What's that? Noodling. What's that? Noodling, yeah. Yeah. What is that? It's, uh, I, so noodling is where it's honestly quite, it can be quite dangerous. But basically what you do is um, a person will find, and it's usually along the edge of like a, either a big river or edge of a lake or something. You have these big holes where um, catfish um, that's where they live. And so these people will stick their arms into these holes, which in my opinion is, would be terrifying because you have no idea what in the world's in there anyways. Um, and they, these people, you know, the, the object of it is they, the catfish will finally, um, think that they're like hand, they're moving around, think it's like bait and then it'll eat their arm. And so they have their arm halfway into a, a catfish's mouth and then they will, um, pull the thing out and these things can be like you know two and a half three feet three and a half feet long and people have broken their arms before with these fish so it's um yeah it's a brutal but very interesting uh thing that some people enjoy doing in the south (laughs) (laughs) yeah gives them some sort of uh adrenaline rush i'm sure yeah i guess so but Yeah, the the South is an interesting part of the U.S. It's um, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> um, so you mentioned your grandmother-in-law is from England. Mother-in-law, right? your mother-in-law. mother-in-law. Yeah, your yeah. mother-in-law. And, well, and both. I mean, yeah. yeah, Elizabeth's grandmother, my wife, or her grandmother is also obviously from from England. So yeah. So I know you've spent some time um, in England with her family. What was that like? Uh, as somebody who grew up in Alabama, and you had not traveled much before this, right? Before you started going over to Europe? No, not really. Um, I is even as, growing up as a kid, I enjoyed traveling, but my family we never uh, we took one trip out of the U.S. Uh, I think when I was like eleven or twelve, and we went to the Bahamas, which was really fun. We enjoyed that, but um, past that, you know, we would just travel to different places in the U.S. We went to the Grand Canyon; that was a fun trip. We you know, would go to the Appalachian Mountains and just, you know, different places we'd go on road trips, but never really traveled outside of the U.S. And um, coming to college, uh, which that's, of course, how I met you, Seth, um, you know, I came to realize that, like, everybody, apparently I was not, <laughs> my, my family, my sphere of people didn't really do much traveling in comparison to other people in the world, you know, you growing up all over the world, for one, um, and, and just different things like that. So there was so many opportunities, you know, which we'll get, I think we'll, we'll mention some of those, the mission trips and different things and so on. Um, but yeah, I hadn't been to Europe at all. And, uh, we went, it's been four years ago now, actually, I went, uh, with, uh, my wife and her family and, uh, we spent three weeks over there, two weeks in England. And then one week we went to, um, uh, Geneva and Switzerland and, and, traveled that area around Geneva just exploring but I mean it was an amazing experience I I'm a person that loves history uh, very much and um, so being able to see so many different things that you know in America there's really not there's not much age America's a pretty young nation overall and um, with that being said there's you know just driving down the road you don't see very many you know you see houses and stuff but they're like you know it's it's incredible if a house in america is like 100 years old that's like wow that's that's pretty old you know that's that's incredible um but over there it was nothing for a house to be you know like 
700 years old, which just blew my mind. Um, the Elizabeth's or my wife's grandmother, um, the house that she and her husband before he died, where they lived, um, it was, let's see, they lived, lived in Wells, uh, in, in England and, uh, where they had the beautiful Wells cathedral, not Wales, but mm-hmm. Wells, um, in the Somerset area. And, um, they lived in the Baker's or yeah, it was the cook's house as they were building the Wells cathedral in like the 1300s. Um, and they lived there for a long time, but then they moved to a different, different house later on. But just, it's, it blows my mind, you know, again, that you can have houses, you know, just simple things like that. Cause you know, I think of museums and monuments and different things like that, which again, we have in the U S but even then nothing is that old. And, and, to have stuff even older, like um, about 30, it's, I think it's a 30-minute drive outside of Wales, uh, there's uh, Bath, England, and uh, where they have the Roman baths, um, you know, from Roman times, which is super cool. Oh, wow. You know, you, you get to tour and everything, and just, um, I mean, it's still, you know, if if they would have let you, if they were to allow you to do it, you could still, you know, sit in the, war- the warm baths to this day. It's It's just neat. Um, they even used like at that point they used lead pipes to pipe in the hot water, which obviously we know there's some big issues, but back then they didn't know anything about the dangers of lead and lead poisoning. But, um, yeah, just really interesting. Um, the history, the age, uh, of things. I just, I loved it. I mean, every, I ate up every minute of it. I just, it was, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. So what were some things that you noticed as an American coming to Europe, um, besides for the age of the buildings and stuff, um, what were some of the things you noticed with the culture? Um, well, one that probably stood out to me as soon as we got there, we had a, our flight had been delayed some, and so we missed the bus. Um, we, we'd flown into London, of course, uh, Heathrow, and uh, we were going to take the bus, but we missed it, so we were calling... Uh, Elizabeth or my wife's aunt and uncle and they were going to drive to come and get us and they were like I mean they were more than happy to do it that was no problem but they were like man it's a two-hour drive in one way you know that's a long drive and um, for those that don't live in the U.S. in the U.S. for us to drive four and five hours one way for something is is nothing you know I mean it's a little trip but it's nothing big you know to drive to, you know, a, a big t- city outside of Chattanooga where I live in Tennessee, uh, is two hours one way, but we don't, I don't think a thing about it, you know, just, you know, going to go to this, you know, drive two hours, three hours, whatever it is, uh, yeah. and, and keep going about my way. I don't think a thing about it, but for them it was like, oh man, driving two hours is so much. And, and another thing with that along with driving is a lot of them don't drive actually. I mean, you can live in England and you don't have to own a car. Um, I think it's a little bit different, a little more difficult in Europe as a whole, but I know in, in England, because it just does seem to be a little more compact, um, that is a little more possible. Uh, but like taking the bus, you know, in America, taking the bus, you know, can seem like a shady thing to do because there, there can be shady characters on the bus, but in England, that's, that's normal transportation. And, and just walking, for that matter, people walk everywhere there. My wife's grandmother, you know, every day she walks to the um to the market or to the grocery store to get groceries and stuff and for me i'm like you know even where i live in tennessee it takes me it's like a what a five minute 
you know, seven minute drive one way to, to get to a grocery store. But yeah. I'm sure enough, I'm not close enough to walk. And even if I was, I'd probably still drive. It's just a, it, I don't know. It's, it's a, interesting just the, the difference of cultures and how they do things very differently, which and granted, you know, I, I could see this overall that in England and in Europe, but I especially saw in England that people were, because they walked more, because they were more, you know, they didn't drive so much. They, they were more fit. They were, they were healthier um, than the average American, which that's easy to be healthier than most Americans, I would say. Um, no offense. Yeah. I'm an American, but it's just, that's the fact of the matter. So those are, those are probably some of the big reasons or big differences that I saw just as soon as we got there that I thought was interesting. Yeah, it's, it's quite different. So going back to uh, kind of your college experience, you mentioned that we had the opportunities to go on missions trips while because you and I were both getting trained as nurses. And so we got the opportunity to experience kind of uh, medical care in developing countries. And uh, yeah, we did a couple trips with that. What was, I think, did you just go on the Haiti trip with me? Did you do yeah, any I other trips? So, yeah. No, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to. But okay. yeah, Haiti was the only one that I did. Yeah, so what was it like going to Haiti and yeah, working as a, a healthcare professional there? Um, very, uh, again, very interesting. So for me, this was, I'd only been, the, I'd only been out of the country once before, and that was also to the Caribbean at that point, you know, that was the Bahamas. Which the Bahamas is more like a resort island. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> that was, that was, it was nice. It was very nice. Um, but you didn't get a view of any third world country at all. But going to Haiti, that was definitely a very different experience. Arriving there and it was, it was, it was a pretty, I don't know, eye-opening experience, I guess you would say. For me as an American um, America is overall a very uh, wealthy nation, and, and you can definitely see that in comparison to people that lived in Haiti because, you know, for them, a normal person living in a village, uh, which is one of the places we were working out of a small village, uh, they, you know, they had dirt floors, a small, like, one-room hut type deal. Um, their mode of transportation, if it wasn't walking, they, you know, had, like, a motorcycle. That was a big thing. Everybody had motorcycles to get around in. And... Um, what what did surprise me with all of that though, you know, with all the poverty, with you know, everything was very cheap in comparison to here. You know, you could walk into Haiti with a hundred dollars and and you could do very well for yourself. You know, for I would say, goodness, a couple months probably if you just if you used it correctly. Because even like we, I remember we went to a restaurant at one point and um, what did we pay? It was like three dollars and fifty cents a person for like an absolute. It was a delicious meal full meal like we we're filled to the brim just amazing what you can do with so little money um in comparison yeah i mean everything was so cheap uh what were some of the things that haitians had to deal with in the past couple of years i know we saw quite a bit i think it was that trip did we see a lot of like the earthquake destruction there yeah we did see some aftermath of that it had been Let's see, we went and I think it was 2013, 2014, one of, one of those yeah. two years. And and the um, I think the earthquake had happened in 2011, I believe, something like that, or 2009, one of those two. I can't remember exactly. But um, anyways, and um, yeah, we, had, we were able to see some of the lasting damage from that because, again, the country is so poor, so they weren't able to, in some areas, recover from, you know, the devastation. 
um, on the way, I can't remember if it was on the way to or on the way from, on the flight, I talked with a doctor who was Haitian, and he mentioned working at the hospital during this earthquake and so on, and he said it was, you know, horrific trying to treat people. They said they had to um, set up tents and so on outside of the hospital, which, you know, we both went to the, they, they showed the hospital to us, one of the main hospitals there, which was in comparison to most or almost any hospital in America, you know, it was, it was super tiny hospitals here, massive. So I can only imagine them having such issues dealing with, you know, the devastation, uh, the injuries and so on with such a small hospital. And that was in, um, that was in the capital, you know, that's not to say, that's not talking about villages and so on that, you know, don't have a hospital at all, have maybe like a, a clinic maybe here and there. So yeah, pretty pretty incredible to to see that different side of of the world that you don't always get like i said obviously in america being such a a wealthy country in comparison Mm -hmm. and what was some of the things that we were doing there as healthcare professionals so we we were doing clinics was one of the things we were doing and we would you know check people out check their vital signs get their blood pressure and different things like that and you know they would come in for different complaints kind of like an emergency room to be honest and uh, you know which I, I'd say probably the big one, some of the biggest issues is people that would come in they would have um, they would have worms you know in, in in their GI system and so we would we were prescribing anti you know warm medicine left and right to people along with some skin issues and things like that. Um, you know, it wasn't always, they don't have good options for staying clean. Um, as, as so much I think is, as we do in the U S and, and that's another thing too, you know, back to the whole, you know, the poverty level, because, you know, a poor person in the U S you know, the, yeah, they may not have much money, but I can guarantee you they're going to have a, like a TV, one or two TVs, They'll have, you know, they'll have a smartphone, they'll have a vehicle, maybe multiple vehicles, and they'll have food on the table. They're, they're definitely not starving to death. But in these other countries, these third world countries, that's, you know, a truly poor person will go hungry at times, you know, which is a, is a sad but a, a true uh, occurrence. And, um, yeah, it's just it's, it's really interesting. As as a nurse, having worked in, you know, a first world country and then uh, seen some of the like you were mentioning, um, the worms and stuff uh, that occur in a developing country. What are some what are some things you can think of that uh, that are needed in these countries just on a basic health level? Um, I think education would make a difference for them, um, you know you if you're not educated on how to keep you know cleanliness and different things like that which a lot of disease stems from just uncleanliness you know also just you know like having clean water that was not an option for them you know if they wanted clean water either their stomachs were just used to it and they got worms all the time um or you would have to boil your water you know before you drank it um and that was something that i remember they were very careful when we came to the mission station is they were very careful to always make sure we had clean water because they knew that we as americans used to such clean water wouldn't be able to handle um their (laughs) their water that would didn't bother them in the least um you know preventing you know just having clean water prevents dysentery prevents all these types of things and it could be just as simple as having you know um a, a well drilled you know kind of a deal um you know so there's just such need 
there. I remember, you know, we, we would have electricity and we were fortunate for that at the mission to have electricity, uh, which would allow us to have running water for a bit. It wasn't warm. Uh, you know, there was no warm water per se. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, you'd have electricity for maybe a few hours in the day and then that was it. You wouldn't have any more. Um, and, and again, in America, that is, that is totally not the case for us not to have electricity is, you know, some people are borderline panicking because, you know, they're like, you know, how can I not have electricity? You know, it's, it's usually something like a hurricane or a tornado that comes through that knocks out electricity. That's, that's the only time we'll lose it here. But, you know, for, for them, they, they have it a few hours a day and they're lucky to get that. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a different world. Yeah. Speaking of the water, tell me more about like what it was like for us to wash up there. So, um, if you were lucky enough to take a shower when there was, um, electricity and there was water pumped up to the top of the, the mission station, which was, I think it was like three stories or something like that, two or three stories, then you would have some, uh, running water. If it wasn't, then you would just have to, you know, use, uh, just a bucket. You'd fill it up and you'd get your hair wet, lather yourself up, and then you'd dump the bucket over your head. Uh, which I would have to say, you know, being in Haiti, it was, it was pretty warm there, obviously being closer to the equator. And, um, so it was nice, but the whole dumping the bucket over your head was a new experience for me. I hadn't had an experience until that point. So yeah, it gets the job done. Yeah. Uh, it's always funny because in these warmer countries, it's like, oh, there's no hot water. Sometimes you have lukewarm water. It's a, it's okay. But sometimes it can be really cold. And I don't care how hot you've been during the day. Like, that is so uncomfortable taking a cold shower. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. That is very true. That was whew, that was something else. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, tell me a little bit about our experience uh, going to that um, outdoor tourist market place. Oh yeah. So that was, <laughs> they took us to a different part of Port-au-Prince. That's the capital of Haiti. And, um, the mission leader was like, you know, he was very specific on taking us to a place that was safe because there were places that he was like, no, we're not going there. That's not a, not a place safe enough for you guys to go. And so he took us to this nicer area of, of Port-au-Prince, which really cool thing about it is all the buildings were like houses were, um, different colors. So, you, you know, you're looking up the, which it was going up this small mountain here or whatever, and it was beautiful um, seeing just the different colors of the uh, the houses and such. But, uh, yeah, so like in one of the streets, they had some sellers, and they were selling like um, just different odds and ends and um, souvenirs and so on. Uh, but it wasn't your average, you know, buying, you know, you, they have the price tag on there, you buy it and you leave with your, with your item or whatever. Um, like it is in the U S it's, uh, you have to barter or haggle as, as, is another word or another term for that. And, um, that was my first experience haggling, um, really enjoyed it. I was honestly skeptical and a little, um, intimidated by it but it was once i got into it it was pretty fun <laughs> um, there was uh there was a they had some paintings along this fence uh down the road that you could you know you could pick any of them and whichever one you wanted and there was one that i still have actually today that i was like man i really like it it's like a picture of some uh, like a ship um it was just really well done and um so uh me and one of the 
other people on the mission trip, she, I can't remember her name, uh, one of the girls, uh, together, her and I, we haggled this guy. He was trying to sell me the painting for like, uh, what was it? I think it was like $40, $40 or $35, which is an astronomical amount in, in Haiti. And we got him down to, I think it was something like $7.50 or whatever. And, you know, we checked it with our mission leader, like, because he was uh, Haitian. And uh, he was like, he's like, yeah, you could probably get him down further, but, you know, that's, that's, that's an okay price. It's not bad. And so I bought it. And uh, after that, I was like, man, this is great. I got to do this again. You know, I got to haggle. <laughs> I got to haggle to get some more souvenirs. And uh, so uh, the next thing was like a, a little wooden cup that had like Haiti written uh, across the side. And I, I think they were asking, I don't know what it was like, it was like 10 bucks or something like that. And we worked them down to like $2 and 50 cents. Um, and again, the, the leader was like, yeah, that's a fair price. That's fine. But, uh, it's, I don't know, it's just, inter- uh, again, a new world an interesting experience and which, you know, you Seth and, uh, my wife, now wife Elizabeth had some interesting experiences as well. I remember going with you, um, trying to work these different people down it was a it was some statue national whatever statue kind of like our statue of liberty i guess you would say it was kind of their type it was the statue of the um the man the slave who had just been freed blowing the conch shell right right and he (laughs) had like a machete in his other hand or whatever i remember going with you to different the different there was like i think three or four who were kept going back and forth to and uh, we'd go to one and say, well, this guy over here, you know, he's he said he'd take this, you know, this much money for this. And then anyways, we, we ca- caused a little conflict with them because one person we worked down a little bit too far that then the others really were wanting to to go. And so we caused a little bit of conflict with that. But it was it was pretty fun. They, they didn't really want to come down very much. They were very proud of that, um, that statue, uh, which is fair. You know, that's their yeah. that's patriotism and so on. But uh, and you were able to finally get one for a half decent price. I think they were asking like initially like upwards close to a hundred dollars. Yeah, it was something which, crazy. Uh, yeah, which was like wow, <laughs> we've got money, but we don't have that much. You know, we were <laughs> yeah. poor college students at that point. So yeah, so that that was such a fun trip. And I remember the one time we climbed up on the hill and we were able to look over into the Dominican Republic. That's Dominican Republic. Yeah. Yeah. That was a cool, that was a cool trip that day. Cause they, yeah, it was like the, the mayor of the little town we were village we were staying at, um, decided to take all of us, uh, that were, had come visiting, uh, with the mission trip, uh, take us on a little hike up, up to the side of a mountain, which again, it was neat to see just the differences of things. Like you could see where they were, um, you know, using cows to plow the fields and things like that, which, Again, you will never see that in America um, unless you go to certain like Amish areas. Which, <laughs> for those of you that don't know anything about that, just look it up. It's it's they're a fascinating group of people. Um, basically, live like they're in the 1850s or 1800s. Um, so, anyways, but uh, so we kept hiking, went all the way up to the top. Um, there was like a, it was almost like a a little chapel type deal, if you will, that was up there. I remember. And, yeah, you know, there that. were people up there that were, that were praying. Um, yeah, we were able to look over into the Dominican Republic uh, from the top of the mountain, which was really cool. On the way back, hiking back, the mayor took us to his hut, if you will, whatever, piece of land. And he had one of, I don't know if it was a friend or whatever, to climb up into one of the um, coconut trees 
and pulled a bunch of coconuts down for us. And then he used his uh, machete that he had used as a walking stick going up the mountain to um, hack them open and uh, give them to us to drink, which is very kind. Um, I think the one that I got was uh, either was too ripe or wasn't ripe enough. I think it was green. Um, but I still drank it because I to be polite for one, and, and it was a cool experience. I was like, well, maybe this is the way coconut water tastes. I don't know. Uh, but uh, it was really cool. Um, very interesting experience that we were able to share together with uh, with my wife, Elizabeth, of course. And uh, yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, that was back before you knew the romance had started. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Before we before we dated. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a fun trip though. Um, yeah, lots of good experiences there. And then yeah, good memories. And then you haven't. I actually went back to Haiti one other time. So I was trying to, as we were talking, I was trying to like make sure the each experience was separated. Um, right, right. I it, forgot about that. Yeah, uh, which was also really cool because we went up to, and now I'm blanking on uh, which fortress it was, but it was a fortress that was built on top of a hill mm -hmm. and just this huge, it was a castle basically. We went up there. It was honestly a really cool experience. Uh, we went up there and dressed in like this medieval garb and like took pictures in this castle overlooking Haiti. Oh, that's um, cool. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so it was pretty fun. Uh, but it was, yeah, we had the all our all our costumes in this uh, suitcase that we had to lug up the up the stairs and up the path, and it was like a couple miles up this mountain. It was pretty Ooh. tough, but. <laughs> and oh, I know you were talking about you're like really big into history, but you're also big into castles. Uh, <laughs> what what have been some of your favorite castles that you've visited? Oh man, well. <laughs> There's so many that I've seen that I wasn't able to go into, unfortunately. But um, probably my fit, most favorite um, went to on my first trip to Europe, um, and we it was in um, it was in France um, along the Lake Geneva. Actually, um, it, the name of the castle is uh, Chillon Castle. Um, really cool historical place, just because it was. Um, one of the, or I should say the, in that area is known as the Piedmont Valleys, um, borders into, um, like Italy and different things like that and to the Italian Alps, French Alps and, and so on. And, um, so the, um, I can't remember, the Duke of Saxony, that, that was where he ruled. That was like his seat. And, um, he, at different points actually persecuted Christians that lived in the Italian Alps called the Waldenses, which I thought was very fascinating. Um, and we, of course, as every castle does, has a dungeon of some sorts. And, uh, you know, they mentioned that in the history, um, when we were looking around at the dungeon, that there were Christians that were uh, persecuted or Protestants, I guess you would, would be the more correct term that were persecuted at that point and kept in the dungeon for a time. Um, that I just I found very interesting. It was a beautiful view. Um, if if you don't know what Xion Castle looks like, just look it up. It has, um, yeah, it's just absolutely gorgeous and it's and it's massive to be honest. So that was probably my most favorite castle that I've been to so far. Um, another castle that I uh, really enjoyed uh, was um, and I cannot pronounce. It's a German name of some sorts, but it's a. It's a castle outside of uh, uh, Salzburg, Austria, um, right outside, like 
I don't know, 30, 40 minute drive. And it's like perched on the very top of a hill, like a very steep hill. And um, super neat, the history that the bishop that worked and lived in Salzburg owned the castle, obviously in Salzburg, as well as this castle here. Um, but uh, they dealt with um, keeping track of and monitoring like the salt trade and so on because there were many salt mines that are still used today um, that in that area. Uh, we actually went into one of them right um, into Germany, right across the border. Um, that yeah, it they were had just celebrated their like 500 year anniversary and they were still in in you know being used and so on. But it was really cool because you could go inside and, and explore and so on. But uh, yeah, neat castle just to look at for one because you you know as you're driving down the road you see it there perched on the top of a very steep hill, um, and then uh, they also did a show uh, of like uh, like falcon hunting, which is oh, really? you know something yeah it was very fascinating to to watch uh, something that obviously is a lost art not really used anymore uh, it was more just as a historical thing, uh, but you know they had different. Uh, birds. They, I mean, they had vultures. They had, they had a bald eagle. Um, all these different types of hawks and and falcons and so on. Uh, turkey vulture and different things, which was really interesting that they had, they were trained, um, and in this old medieval way of hunting, which I thought was really cool. And we talked actually hunt? with a, a guy. Um, they would hunt uh, like small small little prey, like uh, like rabbits and different things. It wasn't obviously anything very big. The birds couldn't pick that pick it up but it was yeah it was small things like rabbits and different stuff like that uh, which was which was pretty neat um the we talked with a guy uh that he was i think he was like in his early 20s and he just started working there uh, with the falcon or whatever falcon hunting program and uh, he said he's like yeah this is what i do for a living he's like i, I live here and you know i help take care of the birds and we train them and different things like that um, he said that, you know, they do have issues sometimes of when they, um, send them flying and try to get them back. Sometimes they disobey and they keep flying and they, um, all have little, uh, markers on them to, to say, you know, where they're from. And so they'll like people in Poland will call them up and say, Hey, we've got your bird and send them back, which is really interesting. So it was really cool talking with this guy, a, a type of job that I can never see being really a thing in America, you know, you right. Yeah, I train I train birds in medieval way of hunting. You know, that's and I live in a castle. Like, what kind of a that is the coolest thing to me. I would love to do that. That would be so awesome. Uh, so that was that was kind of cool. That's what um, you can do when you retire. You can, like train right. birds and live in a castle. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm trying to think of those are probably the two most favorite of mine that I've seen so far. I mean, I've seen quite a few of them, and my. Um, my wife and her poor family have to deal with me. You know, every, every castle we drive by, I'm just like, oh, that's, you know, there's another one. It's so cool. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And now there's a castle in Chattanooga as well. Yeah, so this guy, he, um, again, cool job. But his job was that he would uh, make medieval weapons that they used in, like, the TV show uh, Game of Thrones and things like that. Um, and so obviously very wealthy and so he built his own castle in chattanooga um which is overlooking uh, i think i mean it's it's in it's on the in the lookout mountain area those mountains and so it's overlooking like chattanooga and different things like that it's just a beautiful castle 
um, yeah, very like a, a very dreamy, but yet, <laughs> I don't know, very rustic looking castle, which was super cool. Um, very neat to, to visit. I would have liked to have gone inside, uh, but obviously that, that would be a little weird considering I don't know the person and he doesn't yeah. know me, but I would love to if he would ever let me. So <laughs> You'll have to make friends with him somehow. <laughs> right. Um, well, let's go ahead and wrap up with, uh, what are your favorite travel hacks? Just a random question. What is, what are your favorite secrets for when you travel? Like whether it's how to deal with rental car companies or just taking a, a neck pillow or what are, what are your favorite travel hacks? Um, travel hacks. I would say probably the first one that comes to my mind, um, my wife and I are definitely ones that like to travel, um, frugally, uh, on a budget. And, um, a lot of people, I guess, don't realize that just going out and eating like at restaurants, um, not only in America, but in other countries, you can definitely, you know, that can eat up a lot of cost pretty quickly, a lot of your money. So what, what we do when we go to these countries, um, is, you know, occasionally we may go out to eat, but almost never. So we'll just like bring like sandwiches and different things like that. And no, it may not be like. I'm experiencing, you know, the food of, of the country and so on. Um, but for us, I'm, I, it's honestly the most important thing is, is to, you know, see the sights um, and things like that, not so much the, the food. That's not as important to us. So if you're wanting to save money, I would definitely say a life hack or a travel hack for that is to, to um, bring sack lunches and things like that. You know, you can, you can get food pretty cheaply, you know, at the local grocery stores and things like that. They've got amazing bread all over Europe love the bakeries you know that you go to um so that would definitely be one um another one (laughs) you mentioned the car rentals um that's a hard one they they really have you over a barrel to be honest because you know you can look online and, and reserve and once you get there then you figure out oh these this and this and that specification that you didn't know about or uh, oh, you you know this. You didn't get enough insurance. So you're gonna have to buy more. So it's it's always a bit of a ripoff. I feel like so you just have to prepare to spend more on your rental car than you were planning on initially. Um, also, keep in mind because our second trip to Europe, uh, we had flown into Venice, Italy, and um, we were gonna from there. We spent a few days in Venice, um, and then we drove up into Austria. Um, but you need to make sure to check that your rental car um, has, like the company has insurance that covers all the countries you're going to go to, uh, which we uh, found out that the first one we had chosen or whatever did not. Um, you know, they like to, like two of the countries we were wanting to go to that didn't cover. And so we're like, well, that's, yeah, we got to change that. So we were able to find one that did cover the different um, countries we were wanting to go to, but it, and it was just, it was a little bit of a hassle, of course, trying to f- figure it out and, you know, on the spot, well, you know, does this work or what, what about this price and so on? Um, so yeah, try to plan ahead with that and make sure the insurance covers in the different countries. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are fantastic travel hacks. And of course, another good one is always to be on the lookout for, uh, scams, um, what, what's that story you've told me a couple times? I think you guys were in Venice. Uh, tell me, tell me that story. My wife and I were, um, in Venice with, again, traveling with her family and, um, uh, we were getting a picture, uh, over this little bridge 
and uh, this guy was like walking up to us, which we didn't see because we were getting the picture taken. And then, uh, but my wife's aunt thought he was about to pickpocket us, but it, he wasn't. He actually was. Um, he was going to try to sell us something. We just didn't know it yet. And so he walked up and he saw that we were taking pictures. And so he's like, "Oh, here, hold these flat, you know, these roses, and uh, you know, you can." take them in the picture and so on. And we're like, well, we don't want to buy them. He's like, no, that's fine. That's fine. And so we took the picture with my wife holding the roses and so on. And uh, we were done. And so we went to hand them back. And uh, he's like, no, 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 you can keep them. You can keep them. And uh, he had given them one to my wife and then to another one of our family member members. And, uh, he's like, no, you can keep them. You know, no cost to you. And then he literally leans behind their backs and then go like motions to me, like, give me a little something. Oh, you talk about angry, man. (laughs) If I had been ready, we we probably would have just dropped them, but (laughs) we didn't know what to do because he caught off. So caught us off guard so badly. Yeah. So we ended up, I I think I paid him like two or three euros or whatever for, for (laughs) these two roses but um funny thing when we were traveling back on uh, one of the trains uh, back to our, our whatever airbnb we were staying at and there was you could see there was uh like a couple other couples that happened to have some roses and they didn't have the nicest looks on their faces either so they'd also been duped um i think they were um um my wife's aunt called them the Moonies or whatever. I don't really know much about, but it's some religious sect or something. They were, he was trying to raise money for his, um, I don't know, religious organization or whatever. But, um, yeah, just, uh, watch your back. I would say too. um, Italy's I've heard, I haven't experienced it, but I've heard it can be especially bad for pickpocket pickpocketing, especially the bigger cities. But yeah, that was a pretty funny, well, funny looking back. We didn't, think yeah. it was funny at the moment but funny in retrospect <laughs> yeah very much so yeah traveling can bring some quite hilarious stories sometimes because you're just in such a new environment and you meet the you have the oddest experiences yeah it's true very true all right well let's go ahead and wrap up with the rapid fire facts section do you prefer beaches or cities Mm, that's hard. I would say probably beaches. Do you prefer Nikon, Canon, or Sony? Well, I've, I have a Nikon, so I guess that's what I like the best. But <laughs> nice. Apple or Android? Um, I like Apple. Yeah, pretty well. Do you prefer group or solo travel? Definitely group. Yeah, you can enjoy it much better with somebody. It's no fun when you're trying to show yourself everything. When you're experiencing it with other people, that's that's the, the the big thing, and you know, especially nice when you're traveling with your spouse or or friends, like when we went, you know, to Iceland with you guys and stuff. Yeah. So, I agree. Uh, what is your wor- the worst airport that you've ever flown through? Worst airport that I've ever flown through. Um, are you talking like as far as like just how it's set up and things? Yeah. Or? Um, how it's set up or how it smelled or that'd probably be the port-au-prince airport to be honest in haiti i would have to say it was probably the sketchiest airport yeah yeah i would say that one uh what is your favorite airline that you've flown with favorite airline um you know i like iceland air honestly i I do like them a lot um i also like british airways um 
they have very nice accommodations and so on. So I, I, I would say those are probably my two favorites. Do you prefer a strict schedule or go with the flow? Mm, probably a mixture of both, actually. You know, I if you have it too strict, then it's hard to enjoy it because you're worried about not getting to see everything in one day. Um, if you have more of a lax schedule, like, oh, I'd like to see, you know, this thing or that thing today um, or have a couple things on the list. But in the meantime, you know, as you're driving, you see, oh, that's cool, you know, something along the road or whatever, and you won't, you stop and see that. I That's probably more enjoyable to me um yeah because the strict schedule can get rather um stressful and then having no schedule can also be stressful because then you're like well are we going to see anything you know here we are in this country but we're we don't have anything planned to go see so do you like riding on the train or the bus better i think the train is more is more fun to ride on um i've read rode on more buses i would say in europe than trains but yeah, I think the trains are cooler. Like the subways and things is kind of neat. So Yeah. What is the worst food that you've ever tried? Worst food that I've ever tried? <laughs> uh, to be honest, airplane food. If I don't know if that counts. Uh, yeah, that works. We usually, when we fly over to Europe, we do a night flight, which is fine. That honestly is better for getting you switched over to their time zone. Um, but it's... Yeah, they try to feed you at midnight, which is why I'm not even hungry at midnight, for one. And then for two, they pull out this terribly smelling uh, airplane food, and you're just like, no, I'm good. I'll eat the bread, and I'll be fine from there. So, yeah, that's probably, I would say, is probably airplane food. (laughs) Yeah. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you want to live permanently? Oh, that's a hard question. Um... Yeah, that's really hard because I definitely enjoy beaches and, and, and things like that. But I also I really love Europe, um, which can have beaches, too. I just haven't really seen very many over there. I would say if I wanted to live somewhere, though, um, in the world it would probably be like Austria or Switzerland. Yeah, either of those would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. All right. And then my last question, what makes travel worth it to you personally? I, I, I love the whole thing of traveling. It's, you know, if that was my job, I think that would be a perfect job, to be honest, past living in a castle. Uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's it's fun to experience with family and friends. It's fun to um, learn about other cultures. And I, I think that's another big thing that I enjoy, too, is just seeing how other people live um, and experiencing that, which is, is just so fascinating because, you know, you can... You know, two people can live in the same small world that we live in and yet live such completely different lives, see completely different things. Yeah, it's just, it's so cool. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this conversation with your friends. You can find me on social media at TravelWorthLiving or on the web at TravelWorthLiving.com. I sincerely hope you'll join me again next week for another incredible conversation about travel. I'm Seth Sutherland, and this is Travel Worth Living.